Welcome to another edition of Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show. I'm Anthony T. I'm still recovering from Scares That Care Weekend 8, which I attended July 29th through the 31st. So that means this episode will be an interview episode only. As yes, I will have new material next episode. Promise. As I'll talk about my time at Scares That Care Weekend 8. But... In the meantime, in this edition of Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show, I will be talking to writers, directors, producers, Tori Haas and Jay Holloway, as they are a part of a new anthology horror film called Dead by Midnight, Why to Kill. That interview will air in just a moment. Then in What's Anthony T Watching? I vowed never to watch another Predator film again until I read the news from San Diego Comic-Con that this Predator film got a standing ovation. So yours truly had to check it out for better or worse. As I'll have my review of Prey in What's Anthony T. Watching, I will be back in a moment with my interview this episode. To dark discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. A weekly podcast here. The discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the film but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. If you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. And speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I considered the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers were smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. <laughs> right. <laughs> www.darkdiscussions.com Wherever podcasts are found. Every day there's a family struggling with hospital bills to care for their sick child who is fighting an illness. There's a woman who is fighting breast cancer and is having trouble making ends meet while paying for their treatment. And there are burn victims that are going through treatments to heal their deep wounds. There is a charity in the horror community that helps these people. Scares That Care is an organization that helps families deal with the bills for their child. They help women get the treatment they need to fight breast cancer. And they help people who are dealing with severe burns get the help they need to heal. Scares That Care is a 100% volunteer organization 
and 501c3 nonprofit charity that is dedicated to helping these people in fighting real monsters. To find out more information or to donate to Scares That Care, you can go to www.scaresthatcare.org. Every donation helps Scares That Care fight real monsters. Welcome back. There's a new horror anthology out on DVD called Death by Midnight, Why to Kill. It's the second film in the Death by Midnight series. I'm here with two of the film's directors, Tori Haas and Jay Holloway. How are you doing today, gentlemen? Good. Thank you for having us. Yes, thanks for having us on. What made each of you get into filmmaking? I'll let the T-Man start off. Okay. Well, for me, when I was a kid, I, I always loved, like, my parents, they loved uh, horror movies. So I was always exposed to horror, you know, constantly. But I was like a dinosaur kid. Like, I wanted to be a paleontologist. And then, when I was like 10 years old, I saw Jurassic Park, and I had this revelation that, like, well, if I'm a paleontologist, I'm just digging up bones. And that's cool. But if I'm a filmmaker, I could actually be on set with, like, dinosaurs, with, like, animatronic dinosaurs and creatures. And then from there, I just... It just became my passion, just you know, everything I was like devoted to. Like I remember in fourth grade, I did like a book report on Roger Corman. So I did read, read like his biography. So yeah, I've just always been interested in film since since I saw Jurassic Park. And um, my story is kind of similar to Tori, aka the T Man. Um, um, I started watching horror well pretty much at a young age. I was about five. Um, the first horror film that really scared me was uh, The Car, 1977. Um, and there's a story how my dad makes this joke about he was something like, "Yeah, when you're riding your bicycle outside, that car is just gonna come and hit you." <laughs> so that kind of creeped me out. But um, I just love watching horror movies. I would always watch them with my grandma. We would watch stuff like Poodle of the Gods, uh, another film, The Curse, and then. As I got older, um, I just really started getting into them, and there were like a local, there was a local um, mom and pop's video store called Eastern Video that kind of specialized. They had like a ton of old B horror movies, and uh, I would just always go there during my college years on pretty much Fridays and just rent, you know, obscure horror movies. And yeah, and from there, I just continued to want to watch them and want to get into directing them. Both of you have a segment in the new film, Death by Midnight, Why to Kill. Will one of you tell everyone about this film? Jay? Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, uh, Death by Midnight, Why to Kill is the sequel to uh, the first Death by Midnight, which we shot about a few years ago. With Death by Midnight, Why to Kill, I think um, we took the route of trying to construct it. Like, I'm not for sure if you're familiar with the movie, um, the, K- the Kentucky Fried movie. Um, where it's more of a series of ads, and then we have stories um, from um, other directors that we work with, Tony Reeves, Anissa Maddock, Hannah Fearon, Eric Davis. Um, I'm, I'm quite sure I'm missing some other people that worked on the ads. But this time we took the route of um, just shooting um, stories ourselves. My um, story that I did was actually uh, Tori, came, Tori came up with the concept of it, uh, Gut Cruncher. Why came up with the title? My con- well, you go ahead, sorry. Well, I think it's Tori's original story, uh, which was really cool. And that's one thing I like about Tori's scripts is that they're, you know, I, I really love them. And <laughs> I kind of went a different route with it because of, you know, what I, what I thought I could do, you know, with the budget I had. And so um, another good friend of ours, Greg Garrison, um, he helped me write the script. And just going through it, uh, the whole script writing process was fun. And 
trying to lock down a location, that's another story, and getting the perfect actor to play Gut Cruncher, it, it, it was fun. Um, and I based the character's look off of uh, Rawhead Rex, um, 19, I want to say, I think it came out in 86, Clive Barker film that got panned by critics. Um, and I based the character on his looks, and um, yeah, I guess that's pretty much it. Pretty sure there's a lot more that I can kind of dive into as we go on. Okay, and my segment, Jasper, is about a cartoonist who has to rescue her wife from her creation, which is Jasper, an animated cat. It's a horror version of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. How did each of you become involved with the Death by Midnight series? As both of you had a segment on the first film as well as this film, Why to Kill? Well, we basically created it because, Jay, you had the idea of you wanted to do an anthology film for a while because you love anthologies. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. And, and and I thought the best way for, you know, to do an anthology is one with your best friend. And again, it would also give us, I think it would give us more playing room because, you know, again, you get, you know, more stories plus the wraparound. And I remember when we first had our meeting, it was myself and Tori and Tony Reams and we met at Longhorn, Longhorn Steakhouse. <laughs> yeah. And we uh, talked about ideas and uh, Tony had this concept of doing a, <laughs> was it Tori? Was it more of like a, it, it wasn't. It, more of a kind of a raunchy uh, anthology. Yeah. I don't know how serious he was, but this got us really thinking about doing an anthology film. But he had the idea to do like an anthology of like sex stories because he had like <laughs> friends in college who had these crazy stories. So it would be like a bunch of guys sitting around sharing their stories. Um, we, we went a different route, though, because we at the time we were working for a company, U42, that was going to launch like a new online streaming platform. And they were looking for content, and Tony had an in, so he had the idea to pitch this anthology movie to them. And originally, I wanted to do the anthology also for the reasons Jay said, but also just um, for budget reasons. So I felt, you know, we could shoot a movie over two days, and this is going to make me sound really cheap. I, I do like paying my crew and everything, but the idea was we were going to be self-funding it, which was our original plan. Like, if you're just shooting an anthology, it's basically a collection of shorts, and you could probably get people to maybe work for a very reduced rate just for, like, one weekend. Because, like, hey, you know, it's just two days of your time. We can have a segment. But after doing that so much, you could piece together a whole movie. Mm -hmm. But then, like I said, we had this contact with the company, and Tony and I went in. I don't want to say I didn't take it seriously, but I was like, they're not going to go for this. <laughs> but, um, no, they they did. It was this very easy pitch. I feel like after hearing so many people have horror stories, about trying to raise money, and I certainly do too, just not not this time. Like, they were just really looking for content, and content, we were just in the right place, right time. And yeah. we got, got the green light for, I mean, it wasn't a, a massive budget by any means. It's still very much a micro-budget movie, but it was more than I had for my previous movie, or Jay's had for any of his films, yeah. um, for sure. Oh, you know, tell him the story when you called me on the phone about how the guy had the calculator and he put it in the garbage can and you told him the budget. I know you made it more oh. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was an exaggeration. But, like, we told him the budget we had in mind. And he thought, like, our total budget was the budget we were asking for for each segment. So he had a calculator and he was, like, trying to multiply the budget by, like, you know, five or six, whatever the number was. And then Tony was like, no, 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 it's, it's actually the whole movie. And he was like, oh, you just dropped the calculator. He's like, that's fine. <laughs> so like this, he dropped this, the garbage can. <laughs> yeah, well, the garbage can I added for you know, story, story's sake. But um, this is something that doesn't happen normally to anyone listening who's a filmmaker. Like, it, just, it doesn't happen like this. So yeah. I consider myself very, very lucky to have 
an experience like this. Tell me more about U42. This seems to be a place for various artists and podcasts besides filmmakers. Yeah, it's they've uh, changed their direction a bit since we pitched Dead by Midnight to them, whereas now they're more like music and podcasts driven. Not so much, um, and I, I don't want to speak for them because I'm not really representative of their company, but my, my take on it is that they've kind of shifted direction, but they, you know, they, they were still happy to work with us. and Yeah, they were. And just from the couple of um, individuals that I've been speaking with, it seems like they're just constantly evolving and, you know, trying to get creators connected with other individuals who are in various, um, you know, areas like, uh, you know, again, from, you know, from what I, you know, got just from one of my past conversations that if you had an idea of somewhat, um, they would try to connect you with other artists who shared your vision. And, and as I said, they are still shaping their content and evolving since the last time that, you know, we, we spoke with them. But again, it, it's from what I'm getting, I think that once, I think um, once everything gets set, and again, I don't want to speak for them as well. I, I think they're really going to continue to kind of take off because it seems like they're trying. The the pitch that I got from one of the representatives is that they were looking for creative artists with voices. If if I'm you know again I'm paraphrasing that, but that's yeah, it's, it's pretty they're broad. Doing. So like they're they're definitely listening to anything. Yeah. How much creative in control did you have when it came to the creative and casting process of each of your short films? Well. Again, with U42, that was the cool thing about it, because you always hear these stories with producers, how <laughs> most producers kind of come in and kind of take over. They pretty much trusted us and let us run wild with our ideas. They, I, I didn't have any trouble um, from the segments that I worked on from both the first one and the second one. I got the total freedom to cast, you know, who I wanted, and also pretty much the actors that I actors and actresses that I cast, I, I've worked with them before, and I've had, you know, a good relationship working relationship with them. Now, with Gut Cruncher, I did work with a few, you know, some three new actors that I want to work with, excluding one, um, who, she was a young lady that was in my previous uh, segment that I shot for Dead by Midnight, the first one. But other than that, you know, the casting, it was a smooth transition for us. Um, I don't think I had any problems, and I'm quite sure Tori didn't with Jasper, because, um, you know, again, and I'll let him dive into that. Yeah, no, we pretty much had full creative control. Like, it, it was almost like a, um, what's it saying, like a fairy tale situation. It's like something you just don't ever hear of happening. Yeah. Um, they were really hands-off with, with us. Like I said, they're, they're really supportive of art and artists. Mm-hmm. So it was just, it's very grateful for the situation. Um, yeah. I, yeah I, I can't say enough nice things about U42. Tori, let's start off with your film Jasper. The screenplay for Jasper was written by Melissa Haas. What made you decide to direct her screenplay instead of writing your own screenplay? Well, at the time, I was working on a script for another project that unfortunately didn't come to light, and I was kind of had my hands full. And because I, I wrote uh, Jay's segment for the first Dead by Midnight, so I'm a writer too. But I will say my wife, Melissa, is a much better writer than me. So I fully trusted her to write the script for Jasper. And she wrote my segment for the first Dead by Midnight, also uh, Blindside, which came out great. And uh, yeah, I just I trusted her to go with I told her my idea, which was really just I want to do something like because Who Framed Roger Rabbit is one of my favorite movies, you know, not horror movies, of course. And I just always, I always wanted to do that, that kind of style. 
in a movie, I saw that this was my chance because U42 was, you know, being so great with the creative and not really putting limitations on us. So, like, what the hell? Let's just swing for the fences and, you know, try to make a low-budget Who Framed Roger Rabbit. What was the casting process like as Melissa also stars in the film as well? Yeah, um... I mean, I was going to cast her, you know, I, I don't want to say it's nepotism, or it wouldn't be that because it's my wife, but um, she's a great <laughs> actress, too. Like, I, I don't think anyone would say otherwise. And Karis was just a, another local actress that I wanted to work with, and uh, Karis Jeffers, sorry, I know you listeners may not know the full name, but she was another local actress I wanted to work with, and it just seemed like a good fit. I know she had really good chemistry with my wife because they're friends outside of the outside of the film industry and just thought it would be, you know, a great match. And then the security guard in the film has a small role, Maxton Jones. Uh, he was in the first Dead by Midnight and he was just he's a really good actor. I wish we had a bigger role for him this time. But he was like so much fun to work with on Blind Side that I wanted to have him in Jasper in you know, in some fashion, even if it was a smaller role. Though I think he makes an impression because he has the main death in the in the segment. And then Bill Mosley, who is the voice of Jasper, is is a bit a bit of a longer story. Um, <laughs> we, we had we had an actor on set for um, Melissa and Karis to react to, and that was uh, Andrew Puckett, who's also in the Heroes of Time segment. He's about as close as you can get to a, a living cartoon character. At least he can act that way. He's not that way in real life, but he can be really animated and over the top. So originally I thought he was going to be the voice because I didn't I didn't think we had the budget to do anything else. But in part of the casting with um, let me back up a little bit. One of the things I wanted to do for this movie, too, was bring in like some kind of horror, like horror icon. And Kane Hodder was the one who immediately jumped out. And then Bill Mosley was also on that list, too. I think he was pretty much neck and neck with Kane Hodder. But as we were working on getting Kane Hodder and talking to Kane Hodder's agent, we found out that she also represented Bill Mosley. So then we had an in to get Bill Mosley, and Tony, you know, did some deal with her. I don't know the specifics of that, but he managed to get Bill Mosley. Because Bill read the script, and he loved it, which was awesome. You know, as a lifelong horror fan, especially of, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, <laughs> to, to hear that, you know, Bill Mosley read a script for a movie you're working on and loved it and wanted to be in it was just, like, this incredible feeling. And so he worked out a, a deal, and then uh, Bill was in, uh, was in Jasper. I had, I had one... Uh, I had a phone call with him, then a phone call just to kind of go over the character, then another phone call as he was recording to kind of direct them during the process. And he's, he's one of the nicest guys, you know, that I, I've ever spoken with. So was, that was a very, very good experience. What was this shoot like in terms of production? It was actually fairly smooth. I think because of the first Dead by Midnight, we kind of had like a process worked out. Like we knew how many days we had the budget to shoot for and kind of what our limitations were. Again, all really goes back to budget. It always comes to that. So the, I think the the biggest challenge I had was to find a location. And because there's lots of studios, you know, in Atlanta, but we found out that U42, they had like an office. And I thought it couldn't work because it was very corporate, but then they had just purchased a studio space in downtown Atlanta. And I checked it out and I was like, it's perfect. You know, it looks like it was a studio. It's a working studio, which is what it needed to be in the movie. So we saved a little bit of budget there. And other than that, like, the production was honestly really, really smooth. I hate saying that because you want to hear the, the stories about all the things that went wrong. But I, I can't think of anything that, you know, was any kind of a huge problem. I don't we know, were, Jay, you were there. Can you recall anything from Jasper? I, that I, I, don't know if can, I don't know if we can mention it, but the lighter scene, T-Man. Oh, yeah. 
Um, I don't know if we can go into that. <laughs> that. That might be for the R-rated podcast. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll just say, like, one thing with the all, overall Dead by Midnight is that because of Kane and also Hannah, Hannah Fearman, we had to be, like, a SAG signatory project. And for a movie of our budget, it's not it's not easy to do that. <laughs> and it's nothing to get SAG. Yeah, we had nothing to get SAG. It was just the rules and regulations going through certain, you know... <laughs> Yeah, well, I can I can tell the, the lighter story actually. That, that's that's definitely not, not the worst of what we experienced with, with SAG. That was because SAG will review, review your script and they want to make sure like you know the actors are safe and they're taken care of. So I had to explain because there's a line in the script where it's like uh, Julia holds a lighter in front of her face, the flames dance you know over her eyes or something, and like I had to explain to them how that's not a stunt and that we don't need a stunt coordinator because it's just not there's no danger to the actress. Like it's a lighter. I think we even end up going with a digital flame for at least some of the scenes, you know, just to not cause any problems with SAG. <laughs> that that might actually be the one thing is like working with SAG and making sure, you know, we were, we were getting cleared was a bit of a challenge for us being independent filmmakers who just never had to deal with that and just kind of did whatever. Like my, my very first movie, the neon dead, we did a whole sword fight and I had like no insurance or anything for that. And it was just like looking back, like it was pretty dangerous. Someone <laughs> 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 got hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Tori, you also handled the visual effects in this short as well. What made you want to use the old school animation when it came to the Jasper character? Yeah, well, that just goes back to who framed Roger Rabbit and just loving, you know, 2D animation. Like, I'm I'm not a huge fan of CGI. Like, it has its place. I know I named Jurassic Park, and that was one of the movies that was like the CGI revolution. But like for me, like I love stop motion. I love practical effects. I love hand-drawn animation. And so with, with Jasper, I was kind of insistent on doing it that way. One of the things that when I decided that we could actually do this for the budget we had is that U42 had like a team of animators on staff who would work with us, you know, to do the VFX and it wouldn't come out of the budget that was directly allotted to us, which was great. And I was talking to them, asked if they could do cell shading and they said yes. So they actually handled, I don't, I don't remember what, I did some cleanup on the compositing in Jasper. I didn't have as big of a role in the visual effects. Other than that, though, I was mainly working with them to get my vision across, you know, what we could accomplish given the timeline and other limitations. Now, what was it like working with the green screen, especially for one of the scenes in Jasper where uh, one of the characters is tied up and a train's coming? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I, honestly, I, I've been doing green screen. Like, my first student film had, like, a, it was shot entirely, or a large segment of it was shot on green screen because I had, well, I wanted to shoot in a cave, and I couldn't find a cave. So I was like, well, I'll just shoot it on, you know, green screen, and I'll make, like, a styrofoam cave later. So, like, green screen, to me, has always been part of the process of filmmaking. And so with Jasper, it's funny you mentioned that scene because I believe that's the only scene that was actually had a green screen because a lot of times... If you watch the movie now and, and you'll see that like the, the CGI is rarely behind the characters. It's usually in front. So we don't need a green screen for shots like that because you can just composite it directly on top of the footage. But for the train scene, yeah, we had to set up a green screen because you had to see, you know, uh, Melissa and Karis in the foreground. She's tied up kind of like classic cartoon style, like on the tracks with Jasper, you know, coming towards her, towards them. And I honestly find green screen work to be pretty fun because there's always that like, little bit of like intimidation like well what if the actors can't visualize it but i've found that like 
overall, actors are great with green screen because they have great imaginations. It's part of like the career, the job requirements. So I, I've never had trouble with actors in green screen trying to get you know the right emotion about out. But it's it's definitely fun, and also when you get to show them the scene, you know when it's complete. And seeing like their reaction to like, well, that's that's what it is now. Like that's always a fun, a fun moment. Moving on as we move to horror in wrestling in Jay Holloway's Gut Cruncher. Jay, what were some of the inspirations for your title character? Um, as I said earlier, Rawhead Rex. Uh, I always loved that character. Um, I, when I saw the movie, uh, and for those people who don't know. Riot Rest is a short story by Clive Barker. I saw the film that he did uh, that was probably when I was a kid. And even though the creature looked really cheap, <laughs> I, I always loved the look of him, like a big punk rocker, you know, wrestler uh, with a mohawk. So I, I really wanted to kind of do that with Gut Cruncher. And I said that I, I got to have a monster with a mohawk because you don't really see the mohawk. With creatures that much size, that I, I really want to just get like a big hulking creature with a mohawk. And if you're familiar with Craven the Hunter from Spider-Man, I, I wanted to kind of, you know, for budget reasons, I wanted him to have like this kind of like like fleece or like like um, intestines like hanging around his neck and stuff. But I, I guess it, it just <laughs> it would have took a lot to do. And from the uh, makeup artist that worked on it, uh, and she was totally awesome. Her name is Amber, and I, I know she's going to get me if I butcher her last name. So, uh, it's, it's, so I know it's Amber. Um, uh, Amber, uh, please it's Aktabowski. I've never said it out loud. I've only seen it. <laughs> yeah, I so mean, Amber, when you're talking to people, you don't call them by their last name. But yeah, it, yeah, Amber's incredible. She's since moved on to really big projects and everything. So it was. And she did a she did a really cool job, which is bringing the life. And I think. Um, the actor that I cast for was actually a wrestler, and um, he just fit the bill for it. His name was Logan Cree. He, he really he really brought the character to life. And again, just the hulkingness and him also being a wrestler, which also added fuel to it as well, too. Now, you had Logan Creed as the title character, Gut Cruncher. For those who don't know, he he's also Mads Kruger in Major League Wrestling. How did you choose him to play the title character? Ah, well, <laughs> here's the thing. Um, just like Tori, the two challenges, well, the challenges I had with Gut Crunch was location and actors. Um, well, the actor for Gut Crunch. And it, also, it just kind of fell into place because I was looking for a wrestling arena. And it was so hard to find somewhere in Atlanta that, you know, for the budget that we had that could let us use the wrestling uh, wrestling arena for you know the time we needed it and so just so happened um just looking online and i found something called anarchy wrestling and it was um gave them a call um and it's land it's landmark wrestling and one of the owners that was really cool uh his name was joshua broom and i spoke with him on the phone told him what was going on and I said, hey, um, you know, working on it, working on a, a feature film, and one of my segments is about wrestling. And I just kind of told him what I had been going through trying to find a location. And he said, cool, you know, I'll send you some pictures. Um, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a wrestler. He said, you know what, I know someone that will be perfect for it. So he gave me Logan's information. I called Logan, and, I, and to this day, and I, I knew he was perfect for the part. 
I told him about it, and he said, Jay, I'm not a monster. I think he said, Jay, I said, I need somebody to play a monster. He said, Jay, I am a monster. And so I, right when he said that, I was like, I, 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 this guy, he's awesome. I mean, and Logan, just working with him, even with the rehearsal, I, I can't, there's not enough good things I can say about him because, I mean, he was there. Um, we did, like, the um, rehearsals with uh, two of the actors, which was uh, Kyle Finley and uh, Joshua O'Hare. I mean, those guys were super as well, too, um, just taking him through the ropes and everything. And he was just cool. I mean, he had, like, a lot of cool ideas. Um, he had this one move called the peekaboo. <laughs> well, you called it that. That was a- yeah. I called it the well, I called it the peekaboo. <laughs> and I'm quite, I don't know if you if you've seen it in the trailer where he kind of slams the guy, one of the kids, on the ground. Um, it, you know, we we he was telling us how uh, prior to that he said, "Yeah, I did this move on a 75 year old man <laughs> just a night." <laughs> he said just a day <laughs> earlier, so which was pretty funny. But again, uh, he was just a swell guy to work with. I mean, I, I hope that um, I can do some more stuff with him in the future. So I'll add one cool thing about yeah. Logan. is One of the days we were shooting, we had wrapped, and I was talking to Logan after he got out of makeup, and he had actually just gotten the offer from MLW to join you know, join their promotion. So that was pretty cool to be there when he, when he got that. Yeah. <laughs> how much, how much <laughs> training did the actors have to go through to keep up with Logan in being safe as he performs the moves on them? Um, well, during rehearsal, we had a cool stunt guy, uh, stunt coordinator. His name was uh, Nick Decay, uh, which was recommended to us. Really cool guy. And I've got a story about him as well, too. He was there doing the rehearsals. We met with him at one of his gyms. And pretty much what he did was kind of go with the actors, which was Kyle Finley and Joshua O'Hare, falling on how they need to fall and take hits. And pretty much Logan, what happened was with, uh, when Logan was there, Logan would kind of get them into position, like with the moves and everything. And with Nick Decay, it, 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 he would kind of, you know, make sure it was coordinated correctly. And pretty sure, and, and quite sure that Logan, I mean, the guy's a wrestler. He he pretty much, um, you know, was kind of going through um, that with Nick. Say, hey, Nick, this is what I'm going to be doing. Um, let me show you a move that I want to do. And pretty much it was kind of like a joint thing between uh, Nick and Logan. And Nick pretty much kind of went through what they needed to do and what, you know, what it needed to be needed to be done for them to be safe. And some of the moves that Logan did, um, like it was a scene where he was kind of like slamming one of the kids. It was actually Josh's head up on the pole. He kind of went uh, went with Logan with that on how, well, how pretty much Josh needs to sell it. Um, that was one thing. Um, there was another instance. This is a cool story. There was a scene where Josh was supposed to do a move where he was to hit gut punch in the face with his power punch. And Joshua was, Josh was a little bit worried about, you know, he, he was like, I, I, I'm i kind of worried that I may hit Logan. And Logan was like, oh, it's cool. It's cool, you know, it's fine. So, you know, we tried it a couple of times. And me and Tori was off to the side talking. And Tori was like, you know, it would be cool if, maybe, <laughs> if uh, Josh just turns into the stunt man, turns into the stunt coordinator and do it. And so right when me and Tori had the idea, uh, Nick walked up to us like, I got this idea. How about I do it? And so we did this cool scene where it's kind of like an homage to Dragon Ball Z where, uh, and it, 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 the, the way we did it was really funny where Josh kind of like ducks down and you just see like this, Tori did like this cool, cool special effect where you saw like the glow and lightning and stuff. 
And then the third quarter just like pops up and he just like runs and he punches it. And we thought we thought it was so funny. And again, it just seems like one of those things that kind of just it works itself out. It's like like Tori says, like a fairy tale. Everything kind of worked itself out. And Nick just did a really cool job of selling it. And and Logan thought it was funny. And it, it was just cool. It, it, again, it was. I think the plus for us is that you've got a stunt coordinator and you got a professional wrestler there at the same time. So the chances of something going wrong, you know, again, knocking on wood, it was, we really didn't see anything like that happening. So again, we, the stunts that we did, we tried to keep them to a minimum. I mean, I, I really wanted to go deep into the wrestling, you know, to do more moves. But I, but again, the days that we had scheduled and the time we just had to kind of, you know, put something together that would work. And I think it worked out really well. What were some of the wrestling influences that influenced your story? Oh, I, I want to say one, um, The Ultimate Warrior, where he wrestled Ted the Million Dollar Man. And there was, this, there was this match that he had where uh, Ted DiBiase is like beating on The Ultimate Warrior. And The Ultimate Warrior is just like getting this kind of energy and this power and stuff and I don't know. I mean, so I don't know if you're familiar with that match where... I, I, I want to watch it now. Now that I was in Yeah, I'm familiar with both wrestlers. Where Ted DiBiase is kind of like hitting the ultimate war. He's not like getting like some kind of power. And he starts dancing around the ring and stuff. And Ted DiBiase is like, what is he doing? So I don't know if it was scripted, but the, the match, I wanted the match to play somewhat like that because it's like... It was just so funny, and I, and I thought it was really cool. And with Gut Cruncher, I was like, the way I wanted this match, that 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 fight scene to go out, was like you're watching a classic Ultimate Warrior match. Yeah, that seems like every Ultimate Warrior match. <laughs> <laughs> so again, it's just it was just crazy and funny. Like you don't know whether or not it's. <laughs> <laughs> if the wrestlers are aware of what Ultimate Warrior is doing, <laughs> or the Ultimate Warriors is making stuff up as it goes along, but that's pretty much how I wanted it to play out. And I, and again, that's why I drew one of their inspirations from that that Ted DiBiase match against the Ultimate Warrior. I, I drew, I drew from that, and then also I asked something. I, I don't want to spoil it for those who hadn't seen it. Um, I threw a Mortal Kombat reference in there as well too. Now I want to go into a little spoiler alert. Now one of the things you do in your film is after you kill a character have your title character do a commercial how did you come up with that idea well again that kind of plays on just our imaginations and uh because I, I know in the original Dead by Midnight we had it where the actual town people were being sucked into the stories where you know, um, I want to say for the uh, for some of the stories that we did for the first original Dead by Midnight, uh, it was kind of an easy, you know, way to kind of, you know, just bring those characters in. With the second one, oh, I, I, I want to say because because I know uh, Hannah kind of narrates all of them, um, and I'm pretty sure you're familiar with the. I, I think we had the uh, the Hey Cassie, not Cassie scene with the um, the Burger Alarm. And that mm -hmm. was the character being shot up and everything. I don't know if you've seen that one. Um, mm -hmm. that, yeah, that, I saw uh, that one. Yeah, yes. Uh, <laughs> that one was an homage to RoboCop. Um, 
I, I, I'm just trying to, without spoiling, I, I'm just trying to think of a think of an ad where where we kind of implemented that. Um, and I don't know if Tori may can you know uh, help me out on this. Um, I think it's the one in in Gut Cruncher because right after the kid is killed. Yeah, that's what I was just talking about. <laughs> yeah, with the um, the power okay. bar, Gut Cruncher power bar, the power bar. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh. <laughs> That one right there, that commercial, well, that ad, oh, God. I mean, I'm just, my mind is just kind of like, it, it, and I apologize. I, I've got my head in the water right now because I'm trying to remember, because I know it was a couple of years ago. I think it was, just, it was just you being goofy with that one. So, you, yeah. know, you sent me a bunch of Ultimate Warrior promos, and you're like, hey, man, I kind of want to do something like this with Gut Cruncher. Yeah, I, have you, um, have you by chance seen the... Uh, promo that the Ultimate Warrior did where he's just like rambling saying that uh, ah, you can feel it you can feel it dude, you can feel it and he's talking just like about how exit stage left, exit stage right, there are no fuses so all the exits have been burnt up just nonsense you know I thought with Gut Cruncher where he had just like this voice coming from nowhere and he's just like pissing him off and he's just like looking around. <laughs> and he's just like, eventually just like eats the guy. But that, again, as a gut cruncher, that whole thing is played, played off of, uh, if Ultimate World was to do like a horror, a horror movie, that's what gut cruncher, that, I think that would be a reflection of it would be gut cruncher. Uh, and, and the promo bar, and I know, uh, Tori, when you helped out with the ad, um, I, I like the background that you did for it and everything. And um, I remember when we shot that at U42, um, and when, like, Gut Country kind of, like, walks off screen and he kind of eats the announcer, you kind of see, like, guts and stuff. We actually had people on the side just kind of, like, throwing flesh and stuff, you know, (laughs) at the camera and stuff. Um, And, uh, Tori, did you have that video? I think it was the VCR filter. I think you may have added that VCR, because it kind of does, like, a little... I might have. I don't remember. Yeah, that's just trying to make it look ridiculous. Is the whole idea behind that? Yeah. (laughs) Next questions uh, for the both of you, starting with Tori. If there was one thing that you could do differently with your segment, what would it be? Ooh, you know, I wish we had more time to shoot. I would have liked to done some more like Sam Raimi style camera work and something like really outrageous to kind of complement the cartoonishness more. And definitely maybe have more forms of Jasper. Really just make everything, you know, bigger. And I, I would love it, too, if this is much larger budget. But if we could do it, like, traditional 2D hand-drawn. And not to say that U42 did an awesome job with the, the CGI, the cel-shaded CGI. But I, the purest to me would love for it to be, like, a straight hand-drawn cartoon. Kind of what Tori said, just a minute, just more time. Um, and as I said earlier, I really want Logan to do more moves. But again, it was just, you know, time constraint because there was a lot of stuff. That wrestling match, I really, really wanted to do some crazy stuff with it. But again, it was just, you know, time-wise. That that would be just the only thing. If if we could do it over again, as I said, the only thing I would just add, you know, just letting Logan go crazy. And letting him just, like, mop the floor with, Ken, uh, with, <laughs> with both Joshua and um, Kyle. Uh, and then also um, Marvin Leon, the guy who Gut Cruncher chomps down on. Again, both of them did a perfect job on that. I, I think I would have just added a little bit more gore into that scene. But again, I just want to say this thing, yeah, time and 
pretty much I would have wanted to have more wrestling moves and, and more gore. What was your favorite moment on the set of this film? Uh, is that for Gut Puncher or for for Jasper? No, for any for oh. any part of this film because oh the whole movie the whole oh. movie no yeah, the whole movie. oh working with Kane Harder and um Aaron I mean I, I like when we shot Aaron. And that was pretty fun on that day with Aaron. Uh, I, I really is, again, I, I enjoyed working with Borfar and Hannah. So if I could pick my three top moments, uh, one would be working with Kay Harder, <laughs> and then the second one would be working with uh, Aaron, Aaron Brown. And um, the third one would probably be working with, <sighs> that's a toughie one. Uh, I would say Hannah, you know, shooting her segments. I'd agree. Like working with Kane Hodder was really, it's like surreal to be talking to someone like that, that you've seen, you know, in movies and in interviews and, you know, that you just know of. And like, he's just working with him as like an equal on a set. Um, maybe not equal. Maybe that's, maybe that's not the right word, but just, just working with someone like that. It was just a really yeah. cool, cool feeling. Go from a fan, yeah. Go from a fan of a person to directing that, you know, your yeah. so that was, you know, Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, all of us, like, at least, like, the main, the I would say the main crew, the ones who work on every segment, like, Jay and I are best friends. I'm friends with, you know, Eric Davis. I've known him since high school. Tony and I have been friends for years. So, it's, so we always, it's more like hanging out with a group of friends versus, yeah. you know, working, which is, I think that comes across in all of our movies, because I think you can tell, I hope you can tell, at least I don't, yeah. don't want to <laughs> speak yeah. how people are experiencing the movies, but I, it, it feels like to me, you watch these movies, you can tell the makers are having fun, because we are. Yeah, yeah. And, and as Tori said, just to piggyback off of it, yeah, the people that we work with were actually horror fans. Um, one uh, one of my actors, I, I, I saw one of his films at um, the Baird Alive Film Festival, which is a local Atlanta film festival, I don't know if you're familiar with them, uh, Tommy Groth, he did a short call, All You Can Eat, and it had a very unique uh, premise to it. And when I was casting for Coach Tanglewood, um, I, you know, again, I, I, I contacted him, and he, he had always wanted to work with us as well, too, because he had seen some of our work. So, again, it was pretty awesome. And then um, Harper Harris, uh, who does, like, who did, you know, the majority of our audio, um, swell guy and also a horror fan, was really cool to work with. And then our, I want to say, uh, Sean Ming Wen, who's um, with a local band called Baby Baby, he did pretty much. Tori, wouldn't you say about sixty percent of this of the music score for Dead by I Me? Mean, I know he did the title. He did our the title theme. Yeah, he um, did. He he did the majority of the music across all segments. Oh yeah, and, and it was cool. And the story said, yeah, pretty much everyone. We were all friends with everyone. Uh, and the people that we hadn't worked with before, they were we were familiar with them, vice versa. So you know, again, I I just think that it it was a fun time. I mean. You know, working on it, as I said, I can't stress it more. It's like, you know, again, working with my best friend, which is a T-man, a.k.a. <laughs> a.k.a. the Time Lord, um, yeah. working with him on film. And then also, with, you know, Tony Reams and just, you know, everyone else. It was it was a blast. I mean, I think in a perfect world, I wish we could do all our movies like that. And they would be like a fairy tale where, you know, we get a budget and, you know, the producers let us one ride with it and we have fun with it. But, you know. Again, uh, hopefully lightning does twice again and we get to do it again. I, I have one more moment to share because this is a wrestling podcast. Is We were at the Landmark Arena. I, I believe he was the promoter there, Rick Michaels. I'm not sure of his exact position, but I was talking to him and like, you know, he's 
he like trained AJ Styles. They were they were like they went way way back and everything. And I was like kind of floored. So I was like, well, AJ Styles is my favorite wrestler and favorite current wrestler. And he was like saying that like AJ's going to be in town when you're shooting. I can try to get him to come here. And I was like, oh, oh man, yeah. that, that that'd be amazing. So like I was like kind of nervously just expecting to like look over and see AJ Styles walk in. And like no no one else, I think I, I don't know Jake because you're not you don't really watch wrestling currently. I don't think like do you know AJ Styles? Yeah, I know I know AJ Styles. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah, I was actually standing because he did AJ Styles, like you said, he did his wardrobe, and he was, he, I think he was on the phone with them too, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was getting into, because AJ Styles didn't show up, unfortunately, but there was one moment where we asked Rick, because we had light coming in from like a, from the, the, the doorway, and he was like blacking out the doorway with, so we could shoot, and as he was doing it, like AJ Styles called him, and he was telling AJ Styles, like, yeah, they're shooting a movie here, it's called Gut Cruncher. <laughs> so that, now, whenever I see AJ Styles wrestle, I always think like that man knows what Gut Cruncher is. Gut Cruncher is, yeah, because it would have been. And again, <laughs> if he had a been there, I would have got a cameo with him just walking, like, what the going on here, and just like walking out. <laughs> yeah, that would have been awesome. <laughs> that would have been awesome if he could just have AJ just kind of walk in and he just sees like this six foot seven monster wrestling these kids and just his reaction to it. I mean, <laughs> that would have been awesome if we could have got that. Um, there was another story, too, if I can add this. Um, when we were shooting one of the scenes where Gut Cruncher kills one of the kids, uh, <laughs> and it was Josh, the actual, you know, not Joshua here, but uh, Josh Froome, who was, you know, cool enough to let us, you know, work in work in the, um, the arena. Um, his partner was like, yeah, I want to get this shot. And so there's a scene where Gut Cruncher bites this kid and it's like blood like splatters everywhere. And uh, the guy, we was like, yeah, it, it, it's going to get everywhere. You you kind of want to back up. And he's like, well, no, like I'm he, fine. Well, he did say, like, it can go anywhere. Just, I don't want it to go on the ring. Like, he did say that. <laughs> <laughs> and so when we did it, and, and the and the, uh, effects, um, the special effects um, person did it was Alex Berger. I think I'm saying his last name right. Is it Berger? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I didn't work directly with him. I'm horrible with pronouncing people's last name, but Alex, he 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 coordinated that whole um that whole special effects shot where he would just like sprout up the blood because I think he had he had like this kind of pump, and so when we did it, it actually got in the ring and it got on the it got on him. So he was like, yeah, wow. that, that that was Rick. He went into the corner of the ring. So he was like, yeah, I won't get on the ring. You know, we we were just saying that we had no idea where it was going to go. And, like, the blood, when it got pumped up, it just all went, like, straight onto his corner of the ring and ran all over. And I was watching, and I was like, I was like, crap, this is, like, we're going to get kicked out. Like, this is going to be it. But he was like, as soon as, like, Jay said cut, he was like, that was awesome. He was like, take it out. <laughs> then they, they just changed the ring. They just brought the new, the new tarp or whatever. Yeah, so. That was fun. I, and, I, again, it's just, like, working, just coordinating, you know, working on a project like that of a scope. I mean, it, it was I was it was pretty big for me because again I, I had never really done a film with you know that much action in it and it was fun and again as I said what made it even better is that you know again had my, you know Tori was there and every, again everything just fell into place so you know that's I, I had a good experience on it. I mean again even within all the other shorts that I were a part of I, I I've had a, you know it was a good experience working with them now I'm gonna put you both on the spot uh oh okay. Which was your favorite segment of this film? Uh, well, my favorite is Jasper, because again, with Jasper, I'm not, for, I'm not, I'm not sure if you remember a uh, old, well, it's not, well, retro, it's um, Evil Tunes. Yeah. Um, that I, 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 I enjoyed that film, and 
you know, again, always, you know, again, fanboying. I've always like, I've always enjoyed some of Tory Shorts. I mean, the stuff that he's worked on. So I've always been a fan of that. Um, but I, I enjoyed Jasper for what it is. I like the story of it. And then also, um, both actresses, Melissa and Karis. And I've worked with Karis on a project and I worked with Melissa. Actually, Melissa was in, uh, the short that I directed, uh, Lost Laundry. So again, I, I, that, that was my favorite one. I would say Jasper was my favorite one. Pretty much I love the story. And then again, I love the animated. I love what, uh, Tori did with the character and everything. So again, yeah, that was my favorite one. I'll be a little controversial because I, I did love Gut Cruncher, Jay, but it's not my favorite. And besides Lost Launchy was my favorite from the first one. So you directed that. Yeah, I know which one's your favorite one. <laughs> My favorite is Heroes of Time, uh, the segment that Eric directed. And I just have a soft spot for as someone who, who does it, too. Like, like, just if you try to do something way beyond the scope of your budget and just see what happens. And I think Eric definitely did that with Heroes of Time. So I just thought it was interesting interesting to watch. And uh, that, that's plus, I, I enjoy the way he directs actors, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he directed uh, Creepy Dolls, which was the first, I think, in the first day. And that was that was my second favorite one. Um, and again, Eric Davis is a swell guy. I, I love what he did with Creepy Dolls. I don't I don't know if you've seen that one, but that one was a good That was my favorite one, from the second favorite one from the first one um, that uh, Eric worked on. What are some of the upcoming projects for each of you? Well, we got a you couple things. I'll, I'll go first. The, the big one right now is we're on we're in post on a, another feature that I wrote and Tony Reams directed called Spooked. It it's our first feature length straight horror movie. Usually we do horror comedy, but this one's or we're trying to scare you this time. So we'll, we'll see. Hopefully that turns out well. But editing that now, that's probably the main project. I have a few other smaller things going on. I'm working on an animated short film just just for fun for me. That's going to be 2D animation mixed with stop motion that I'm excited about. And then um probably going to start working on a script, too, for me to direct in the next year or two. Yeah, uh, I've got, I, for me, I've got a project that I'm working on. I'm just getting my budget together for that one. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that one. I was uh, telling Tori before, I, I wanted to do one more short before I work on start my feature, but I want to be doing, um, I want to do, you know, my main short. And then there's, there's one more short. I don't know if I can go into it. <laughs> Uh, because of the show, let's just say um, it, it's it's going to probably be my all-out weird short before I start working on my feature. But again, yeah, those um, are the three things, well, two things that I'm going to be trying to get going next year. I'll, I'll say about Jay, it's one of the reasons I love your films, too, is that you kind of alternate between, like, a more normal horror movie and then something that's just outrageous and crazy. Yeah. Um <laughs> So, like, Gut Cruncher's a little more on the outrageous, crazy side, but I know the short you're referring to now, and that's yeah. def- it's definitely another level than Beyond Gut Cruncher. Yeah, so that one's a little bit more serious. And then the third, the second one um, is going to be really bizarre, and I just think it's going to really disgust people. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you, I think you can say the premise, right? The basic well, premise. I, well, again, it's... Okay, it, it's about a woman... <laughs> who has an obsession with pimples. And what she does is she pops these guys' pim- pimples while she's in a relationship with them, and then she murders them. Um, it's, it's like, basically, she... It's like... I would, it's like... It, it's a pimple fetish. And <laughs> the way I want to have it do is it's like, it's really all out just 
crazy because like as she's popping, you just have like these exaggerated punches like squirting on her and everything. Um, I was talking to one of the um, guys that I work that you know uh, Tori and I work with, really swell guy Blake Myers, who is a, a local. Uh, he does um, he does a lot of things. I know he's the coordinator for the Bear Life Film Festival. Um, he also does set uh, decoration and he does a little bit of makeup. Hoping to get him and also Luke Godfrey. Um, Lucas Godfrey, and he's really blowing up kind of like Amber. I mean, he works on The Walking Dead, Creep Show. I really want to do two more things with them. Um, I mean, I would love to do more stuff with them in the future, but I just know that their schedules are going to probably be really hectic going in the future. So I really want to try to get them onto this, you know, these two projects before I start my feature. But yeah, the, the pimple movie. Yeah. It's, it's a short, not going to be long, probably about five or six minutes. I'm thinking of approaching it two ways. One, I want to do it either as a mockumentary or I could do it where she's actually breaking the fourth wall and talking to the audience. So I'm still, still trying to torn on how I want to do that. I've, I've got an original script that I've already wrote, but I'm going to kind of go back and touch it up a little bit. Where can they find each of you, the film, in U42 on social media in the web? I'm actually not on any social media. <laughs> I don't, don't exactly know. Um, I believe U42, you just search for U42, Y-O-U-42, and they'll mm-hmm. pop up on everything. Yeah. Um, they've, Instagram, they've got an Instagram for Dead by Midnight, Y2 Kill, and then they've got a Facebook page for Dead by Midnight, Y2 Kill. Um, so, yeah, if, if any of the viewers or people that are, you know, maybe interested um, in seeing it, yeah, you can, you know, check out the uh, Instagram page. Um, and then the Facebook page. Um, and again, I, I'm I'm not really getting as age I am. Social media is kind of like, ah, you know. So I, I'm I'm I wouldn't even say I'm a part-time social media person. But um, yeah, I, I know that um, the the people of U42 they're really good at posting things about uh, Dead by Midnight, such as um where you can find it to purchase it, and just you know any any kind of information you're looking for. Again, you can go to the Facebook page, uh, Dead by Midnight, Watch to Kill. Or you can just, you know, look them up on um, Instagram. Yeah, and the first movie is streaming on U42.com. They have it split up into episodes, but it's all on there, and you can watch it. So I would, we would probably suggest you watch the first one before you watch the second one. Um, it's not, I, I wouldn't say it's not, and I, and Tori, if, if, quote me if I'm wrong, it, it, I don't think it's mandatory that they watch it, but... Uh, I think just watching the first one, I, I think going into the second one, you it's like a kind of it, it's, it's it's a fun roller coaster because it goes from I once said the first one was a little bit more serious horror based with the stories, whereas with the second one, um, it I want to say it kind of picks right up, um, and it's more of a fun ride in the second one, just yeah. like with the creep show. It's the most fun you'll have being scared. Well, the first one we kind of started. We started more light with horror comedy, then the segments got kind of darker as they went along. With Dead by Midnight, Y2 Kill, we pretty much just stayed, stayed in horror comedy. Comedy, yeah. You can't go wrong with horror comedy. <laughs> yeah, that's what I got with that film, too, with Y2K, because they're two different films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if we ever got the chance to do a third one, I, I don't know well. <laughs> You know, don't want you know if if we ever did a third one, I don't know. I would be more interested in going back to being more. I guess the the way we did the first one. I mean, I don't know if Tori like how we did you know the, with the wraparound and everything. I I would like to take that route. You know, with the first one, um, where it got where it was more 
darker and then you know well lighter tone then got darker with the um in the if we ever do a third one yeah i think that would be the route to go because if we double down on horror comedy for the second one we should double down on horror for the next one yeah i think uh, tony reams wants to do it in space (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i'm all for that where all that. good franchises go to die, space. Ah, yeah, that's what they said. Yeah. Well, we could go underwater with it. <laughs> no, we, we can fake space. I don't know if we can fake underwater. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jay, Tori, it was great having you on my podcast. Yeah, likewise. This was awesome. Yeah, yeah likewise. Thanks. And, um, and again, we want to just thank, you know, thank you for having us here. And um, also thank you everybody who worked, you know, with us with uh, on Dead by Midnight White to Kill. Um, I hope we're not forgetting anybody. Um, again, I think, you know, all my actors and actresses, Jillian Van Blair, you hear me? <laughs> yeah, that's some advice to up-and-coming filmmakers. When you do podcasts like this, you, gotta, you should have a list of everyone who worked on it so you can thank everybody. It's yes. like, you got you to be gracious. Yeah, because we couldn't have done it with, you know, it's... It was, you know, it was a friend project, and you know, we really enjoyed it. And, you know, thank you for having us on. Yeah, and thank you all for listening. Yeah. Anytime. Have a good day. Hi, I'm Anthony T, and I'm director Andrew Duran, and we are the two from hell, and we're putting Rated R back into podcasting. Every month, we will be dropping an episode on the Doc Discussions Network. We'll be chatting about some of our favorite films news, reviews, and maybe interviews. You can find Two From Hell on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast providers. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at Two From Hell Podcast. Trust me, you're seriously not going to want to miss the show. You'll find Anthony T's horror and wrestling show on these social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and the Slasher app at Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling, and on Twitter at Anthony T's Horror. You'll find new episodes on DocDiscussions.com, major podcast providers, and YouTube. What's Anthony T watching this episode? Well, yours truly has decided to watch the latest film in the Predator franchise. Now, if you remember the last Predator film, I hated it with a passion. I said to myself, and I may have said something along those lines, I hope they never make another Predator film. Because that film sucked. Because literally the last Predator film, Shane Black and Fred Durker took a blowtorch to that franchise. That was horrible. And I was not interested in seeing the film I'm about ready to talk about, Prey. Until I heard news out of San Diego Comic Con that Prey 
got a standing ovation. That's right, it got a standing ovation. Like the type you would see at the Cannes Film Festival. Okay, that meant I probably needed to check this film out. Because if a film gets a standing ovation at a convention like San Diego Comic-Con... Where you have all the comic book fans, the sci-fi fans, the horror fans, all there. And this film got a standing ovation? Okay, I knew I needed to check this film out. I just had to. Even though I vowed not to watch another Predator film. And I have to say, Prey is one of the best films of 2022. Forget what I said on the recent Two From Hell episode, with my number two and number three films, because literally, they're not there anymore. That's just two new films on that list. But, back to Prey here, because this is definitely, probably my second favorite film of 2022 so far, as this was just a great film. And this is easily the best film in the whole Predator franchise. And a lot of this has to do with the direction of director Dan Trachenberg, who's known for mostly 10 Cloverfield Lane. Remember that film? Another film that had no business being that good. Prius's second film, and his first film in six years. Why isn't this guy directing more films? Seriously. As his two films are great films. Seriously. Ten Cloverfield Lane and Prey. One of the things that Trachenberg does a great job here is the way he makes sure the action has an intense feel to it. It had the action that we all love and know from the previous Predator films minus the last one. This film was intense. From beginning to end. I like how Trachenberg does a great job making sure the action moves at a fast pace. This is one of those films where it's a period piece. Two, you need the action to move. And you're doing a film that takes place in the 1700s. And you add the Predator in the 1700s. You're going to need to get some action really quickly. And thankfully, he does this in this film. With the way he directs this, the action. As this is probably the most brutal Predator film I've watched, quite frankly. And I've seen all of the series. This is probably the best. I also like the way he directs the acting here. He makes sure he gets great performances in this film. There's definitely a great performance in this film. From actress Amber Midthunder. She does a great job with the way she makes her character interesting. I like how the fact that you're into her journey as she's trying to make her write a passage in the tribe to become a warrior. I thought that was a really well executed. She pulls off one of the best performances of the year. Back to Trachenberg's direction. I also thought he does a great job directing the drama here as I was into this story throughout. 
as there was never a dull moment in this film. Will somebody tell me why this guy has only directed two films in six years? Because this guy has talent. I feel like it's being wasted. I hope this is the film that gets him noticed. As 10 Cloverfield Lane should have gotten noticed, quite frankly. And it's sad it took him six years to do another feature film. He also has a very good screenplay to work with here. As screenwriter Patrick Olsen does a great job with this screenplay, quite frankly. One of the things I really liked about this screenplay was the fact that it does a great job focusing on its main character and her struggles going through this rite of passage to become a warrior. As it was an interesting way to approach this film, as all the other Predator films are just action films, literally. The first one in the jungle, the second one in L.A., the third one in the jungle again. And the Predator just does not go there. This one has a very good story as I was very into what everything was going on here. As I was very into the main character of the film. I also like how he does a great job making sure he creates action scenes in his screenplay that are brutal. This is probably one of the most brutal Predator films in the franchise. We don't get any clowning around like the last film. We get to the action. We get to the story. This is what I want to see in a Predator film. And this may be the perfect Predator film made. Because quite frankly, this was just great. I literally like this film a lot. It's a shame that this film is not at theaters. This should have been a theatrical release, not a direct-to-Hulu release. That is such a dumb idea. I really think 20th Century Fox should test screen this film thoroughly before they really dumped this to Hulu. Because seriously, this is a film that is meant to be seen in a theater, not on Hulu. This is definitely money left on the table. Seriously. I don't get 20th Century Fox. That was a dumb idea to put this on Hulu because this is just a great film, really. It is a great sci-fi action film that should be on the big screen, not on Hulu. But what can you do? It's streaming, everybody. Get used to it. I can follow that under Dumb Ideas of 2022, putting Prey on Hulu instead of of putting it into movie theaters because Prey is a great film that has intense action, a very good story, and a great lead performance. Definitely check this film out on Hulu. It's probably the best Predator film in the franchise. And yes, I'm even saying it's better than the Arnold Schwarzenegger classic. Coming up next episode of Anti-T's Horror and Wrestling Show, I'll talk about my time at Scares That Care Weekend 8. I'll give you my thoughts on WWE SummerSlam 2022. I'll have another edition of What's Anti-T Watching and more. Episode 83, I'll give you my thoughts on AEW's All Out 2022. And I'll have more to come. If you like this podcast... 
Don't forget, you can subscribe to Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcast providers. Also, don't forget to like the official social media pages of Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the Slasher app. With that, I want to thank you for listening to this episode. Have a good day. Support indie wrestling and support indie horror.